My name is Bess Olander. I'm one of your Board of Women representatives and a member of the Cross Trainers Women's Discipleship Program here at MPC. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 6, 5 through 15. If you're using a pew Bible, turn to page 811. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. <clears throat> Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, good morning again, and a warm welcome to all here in our sanctuary, down in our fellowship hall, and even worshiping with us online this morning. My name is James Forsyth. I'm a senior pastor here, and it's my privilege week by week to uh, stand up and share with you all the word of the Lord. Looking forward to us spending time together in this section of, of God's word. But before we, before we do that this morning, let's again bow our heads together and pray. Father, we are here in, in your house to gaze upon your beauty. You have told us to seek your face, and our hearts are here to do that, to seek your face. So, Lord, in these moments, would you show us yourself by showing us your son, Christ? And that as we meet with him, as we understand more of your beauty, we would naturally find, Lord, that we are a people who return again and again and again to seek your beauty, to seek your face, to spend time with you, in prayer. These things we ask in his perfect name. Amen. So last week we spoke about postsecret.com, the largest advertisement-free blog in the world, uh, a website where ordinary folks like you and I anonymously mail in secrets on one side of a postcard, and then each week a selection of these secrets are, are posted online for the community to see. And interestingly, it's not all that uncommon to see secrets about prayer. Secrets on prayer. Some of these are sad. I didn't pray on the way to the hospital. I wonder if it would have mattered. Some of them are silly. The child who wrote, Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. Yeah. Some are even a little shocking. Listen to this one. He said he wanted a divorce. I prayed not to be divorced. He was diagnosed with cancer. I'm not divorced. I'm a widow. Be careful what you pray for. Secrets. 
Do you have a secret? What secret might you mail in? Of course, we know that in the Christian life, generally, secrets are to be avoided. The Christian life is one of freedom. It's one of vulnerability. It's one of of openness where we finally get to live without pretending, being who we are in our own souls to those around us, and of course, before our very God. The gospel frees us to be ourselves. But interestingly, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the passage that we read this morning, Jesus tells us that sometimes secrets do have their place. We began to think about this last week. If you look at verse 1 of the text, which we, we didn't read this morning, but Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. So interestingly, we're not to keep our failures hidden in the Christian life. We're to bring those into the light. We're to confess our sins together. We're to be accountable to one another. We're not trying to pretend to be something that we're not. But sometimes secrets do have their place, Jesus says, because sometimes we should keep our acts of righteousness hidden. Don't keep your failures hidden, but sometimes keep your your righteousness hidden. Now, throughout the rest of the chapter, Jesus goes on to give us three examples, three applications of how that is true. Look with me at verse 2 when he said, Thus, when you give to the needy, do this in secret. This morning, verse 5, and when you pray, do this in secret. And then verse 16, when you fast, do these things in secret. Now, what is this secrecy all about? Why should we do these things in secret? Well, last week we began by looking at the first secret, the secret of generosity, and saw how it brings freedom here on earth and even treasure in heaven. And this week we come to our our second secret, the secret of prayer. Same outline as last week. We're going to look at first what it is that we're to do, and secondly, why it is that we're to do it. What are we to do? Why are we to do it? Let's dive in together. First question, what are we to do? Very simple answer. We're to pray in secret. So friends, pull back the curtain on your life. Allow us to see into what you're really like, to see who you are when when no one else is watching. And what we should find is that you are not only a generous person, but that you are a, a prayerful person too, that you spend time with God. We see this in verses 5, 6, and 7, where we get this repeated assumption again and again and again, when you pray. You see those are the the first words of each of these verses, verse 5, 6, 7, when you pray. Again, not if you pray. When you pray, when you breathe, when you eat, when you sleep. Jesus assumes those are part of your life. And so he assumes that prayer is part of your life as well. Now, why, why does Jesus make this assumption? Why does Jesus assume that we pray? Well, again, the answer is that his assumption is, is based in the gospel. Jesus, Jesus of all people understands the gospel. And so because he understands the gospel and what it's done in our lives, he, he assumes that we'll pray. Now, this is a, a very important point to underline. I want us to see the connection between prayer and the gospel. Why? Because there is a sense, of course, in which prayer is common to, to all religions. The world's major religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all have forms of prayer. Even the world's Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, have, have aspects of prayer. And prayer isn't just common in religion. Prayer is even common in our culture. Uh, I read uh, recently that 76%, so three quarters of Americans, believe that prayer has the power to heal. 
And 66%, two-thirds of Americans believe that God continues to answer specific prayers. So prayer is common in religion. It's common in our culture even. And perhaps because of this ubiquity, because of this pervasiveness, it's easy for us as Christians to kind of take prayer for granted. Like in religion, we assume, oh yeah, God listens to your prayers because like you're following the right religious practices. And even in our culture, we assume, oh yeah, God listens to your prayers because, well, that's just like kind of what God does. But the Bible actually teaches a different reality. And this is why we must understand the connection between prayer and the gospel. Because the Bible teaches us that, yes, there's a sense in which God hears all prayer, but there's another sense in which he doesn't listen to all prayer in the same way. God hears all prayer, but he doesn't listen to every prayer. He hears all prayer in the sense that God is all-knowing. Nothing escapes his attention. But he doesn't listen to all prayer in the same way. So, how does this work out? A few years ago now, I'm sitting in Edinburgh at a playground watching my kids romp. Okay? Now, this is the single greatest playground in the history of humanity. If you asked a kid to draw you what heaven looked like, they'd come back with a picture of clouds and angels. And if you said, that's really not what heaven looks like, draw me what you actually want heaven to look like, they would come back with a picture of this playground. Okay? There was, you know, swings and roundabouts and seesaws and climbing frames and all sorts of great things. And the place was absolute bedlam. Children everywhere, laughing, running, crying, biting, sneezing, hollering, all that kind of good stuff. I see one kid walking by with one shoe on. I think, ah, the story of my parental life. I've been where this parent is about to be, right? You know, just like, just, you know, chaos absolutely everywhere. And then suddenly, above all of the bedlam, I hear a voice. Now, why do I hear a voice? Because it's not any voice. It's, it's not the voice of any wee girl. <laughs> it's the voice of my wee girl. She called my name, which to her means she said, Dad. <laughs> And she called it out with a great sense of kind of fear and urgency. And I leapt up and I ran over to where I heard this voice come from. And there she is hanging on the monkey bars, right? Certain she can't make it to the other side. Certain that she's about to fall to her death. Not realizing it's about a six inch difference between the ground and herself, right? What do I do? I scoop her up. I squeeze her. I tell her everything's okay. Now, parents, you know what... Not just parents, we, we all know. Um, how did I hear her above all the bedlam? Because my ears tuned in for the voice of those I love. My ear is, is tuned toward those who are precious to me. And so it is with, with God. So it is with God. He hears all prayer, sure, because he hears everything. But he listens. <laughs> he is tuned in to those he loves, to those who are precious to him, to his own wee ones, to his kids. So what makes the difference? How do you know if God just hears your prayers or if he actually listens to them? And the answer, of course, is the gospel. Hebrews 10, 19. We have confidence to enter the holy places. We have confidence to, to go into God's presence. How? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. You understand that if it, aren't, if it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't dare to speak God's name upon our lips. We certainly wouldn't go into his presence because he 
is a consuming fire. And yet in Christ, by the blood of Christ, those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, we not only speak his name upon our lips, we not only cry Abba, but we go into his very presence because he is our Father and I who is ready and able to help us. And Jesus assumes that we will. (laughs) He assumes, okay, if there's no longer a separation between you and the God of all creation, if you can draw near by the blood of Christ, if you now have access to an intimate relationship with a father who loves you, if you now have an audience with the all-powerful God, it would be strange to me, Jesus says, for you not to make the most of that. I assume you pray because it would be weird not to. The gospel, the fact that we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, makes it an assumption that we would pray. Now, a couple of quick implications of this assumption. First of all, um, if, if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian this morning, I long for you to see the connection between prayer and the gospel. Because if you're not in a relationship with God, you shouldn't presume that God listens to your prayer. You can pray and he will hear, but you shouldn't presume that he will, he will listen. Why? Because you need to understand that there are implications, there are consequences for rejecting the gospel. He comes to you with all love, all grace, all forgiveness and says, you can be one of my own. But if you stiff arm that, if you refuse to accept your need of forgiveness, if you refuse to accept your need of salvation, then there are consequences of that. These consequences, of course, are are eternal, eternal separation from him. But that separation isn't just awaiting that day. That separation is a reality now. If, If you haven't received his gifts. You're not one of his children. (laughs) And his ear isn't tuned to you as you cry. So pray, but start with the only prayer for you that really matters, which is the prayer of faith. (laughs) The prayer where you come to God and say, Lord, I recognize that I have gone my own way. I recognize I need forgiveness and I recognize that you are offering it to me so I receive it full and free. If you do that, then Right now, in this very moment, the separation that exists between you and God will disappear. You will be one of his children, and he will hear you when you cry. Second implication of this assumption, though, is for those who who would describe themselves as Christians. Jesus assumes that, that we pray because of this connection between prayer and the gospel. And so, friends, for those of us who would describe ourselves as Christians, perhaps this assumption is a little uh, sobering, a little challenging, a little bit of a step on, on our toes. Why? Because prayer, again, like generosity, isn't the reserve of some of you know, those hardcore, slightly strange Christians over there. It's to be a normal, everyday, routine part of the Christian life. And if we don't pray, if we have seasons where we don't pray, we have to ask pretty serious questions about our relationship with God. And that's very natural and very normal. I mean, that's true of any relationship. Imagine after the service, you come up to me and you say, oh, James, how's Rosie? How's your wife doing? And I say, I'm not actually that sure. And you say, oh, uh, I don't know, is she out of town or something? And I'm, no, we, we just don't really talk. 
I just, you know, we, that's what, like, that's not really our thing, you know? That's, we're, we're not one of those couples, you know? Um, what are you going to think? You're going to think, man, this is a dysfunctional marriage. I have questions about this relationship. Well, how much more true is that of our relationship with God? If we, if we don't spend time with him, if we don't go to him with our worries, if we don't go to him with our praises, if we're not speaking with him that raises questions, prayer is very diagnostic of our spiritual health. Take Jesus' assumption seriously because it's grounded in the gospel. So we're to pray. Great. Not only that, though, the interesting thing or the, the, the twist or the quirk in this text is that, yes, we're to pray. Jesus assumes that we'll pray, but he also tells us that we're to pray in secret. Look at verse 5. Pray in secret. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Jesus says, don't be hypocrites. If you are exploring Christianity and you say, man, one of the things I really think really hard about Christians is that they're hypocrites and I really don't like hypocrites, know that you're agreeing with Jesus. Jesus doesn't like hypocrites either. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. So this week there are no trumpets, there are just loudmouths. Loudmouths who position themselves in the place that they will be most seen, whether that's in the church, whether that's standing on the street corner where they then turn prayer into a spectator sport. So they only pray in public. They only pray before meals. They only pray when they're in a community group. They only pray when they're standing up in front of other people in order to impress them, in order so that everyone will go, man, you know that? He, he's a holy man. She's a holy woman. Like the, these people, wow, aren't they impressive? And because they were only doing it to impress other people, if they make a public spectacle of it, they do impress other people. And so Jesus says, they've received their reward in full. They got exactly what they were hoping for, namely to impress others. Jesus says, don't be like them. Instead, verse 6, most practical teaching imaginable. Instead, verse 6, when you pray, Jesus, here this morning, saying, hey, when you, don't, don't be like them, but you, 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 when, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father. Don't make a show, don't make a fuss, just sneak off and spend time with God. Now, I love this teaching. It's brilliant um, on a couple of different levels. First of all, on that spiritual level, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Now, if you're worried about being a hypocrite, if you can say, you know, how do you not be a hypocrite in your prayer life? Jesus says, well, if you don't want to be a hypocrite, it's actually really easy when it comes to prayer. <laughs> Just go to your bedroom and shut the door. If you're worried that you're only praying to impress other people, solution, don't pray in front of all those other people. Spend more time in prayer privately than you spend publicly. Spend more time in prayer privately than you spend publicly. Go to your room and shut the door. Secondly, this is just brilliant to me on a logistical level, right? Um, I know, personally, when I pray, there are all sorts of internal distractions, okay? So I start to pray, and then I start to think about breakfast, right? And then I, oh, back to prayer. And then um, I start to think about, you know, like this email I need to write. And it's like, oh, back to prayer, right? And then I pray, and then I, like, the, all month long think about the World Cup, okay? Right? And it's going to, like, you know, um, or if I pray at night. How many of your prayers start at night, and, and the amen is the alarm clock in the morning, <laughs> you know? Like, um, I, I am a man who finds it, we, we are all men and women who find it difficult to focus in in prayer. And so Jesus says, yeah, if your internal distractions are bad, external distractions are going to be deadly. 
You can't pray if there's all kinds of hullabaloo going on. You can't focus if there's just a lot of noise and distraction. Not because God doesn't hear over all of that, but because you can't think over all of that. So, hey, when you pray, go to your room and shut the door. It's the most practical advice ever. It's one of those teachings that's actually really easy to understand, uh, but just difficult to practice. (laughs) Why? Because it requires discipline. What is discipline? It's choosing between what you want now and what you want the most. That's what discipline is. Choosing between what you want now and what you want the most. So now I want a donut. (laughs) But most, I want a healthy heart. Uh, Now I want to stay up and watch just one more episode of Netflix. But most, I want a good night's sleep and to feel rested in the morning. Well, well, so so it is with prayer. Now I want to stay in bed for 15 more minutes but I want a relationship with God most. Now, I want to get caught up in this activity, but I want want to behold his beauty most. Now, I've got a lot of things I have to do, but, but nothing is more beautiful than beholding his face. So it requires discipline, discipline. We're to pursue this kind of discipline so that we will have times of secret prayer. Have a consistent time. This is, Jesus is so practical. Friends, Jesus says, go to your room and close the door. So have a time every day when you go to your room and you close the door. And then keep that like it's an appointment. Because it is. Right? Something else comes up, you say, I can't do that. Why? Because I have an appointment. And you do. With the God who loves your soul, whose beauty and face you long to behold. Pick a time. I don't think it matters all that much what that time is, but pick a time. For me, it it has to be first thing because once my day gets going, everything gets out of control, right? So for me, it's been a discipline of, of, of starting the day, first thing. Pick a time when you go to your room, close your door. Prioritize the spiritual discipline of praying in secret. What are we to do? Pray in secret. But why? Why? Uh, why should we pursue this discipline? Why, why should we pray in secret? Well, verse 6 answers our second question. What are we to do? Pray in secret. Why are we to do it? Look at verse 6. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now remember, this is the same phrase that we saw last week. Last week, Jesus said, be generous in secret. And God who sees in secret will reward you. This week, Jesus is saying, hey, pray, pray in secret, and God who sees in secret will reward you. I have been really struck by this, by this phrase as, I, as I've studied for this sermon series. Not so much for the fact that God sees us, that God sees in secret. That's been a truth that I'm familiar with. God knows all, sees all, hears all, understands all. He knows what we are like when we pull back the curtain. He knows what we, uh, who we are when no one else is looking. Of course he knows that. But my whole life, that's felt a little ominous. But that's not what the text says. The, God, the text says, God who sees in secret will reward you. So like we said last week, God doesn't see in secret. He's not peering out into your life in order to write a list of things that, that, that he is going to condemn. He's not looking out over your life just so that he can be unhappy with you. No, God is a good 
father. He is a good parent. He looks out over the life of his children in order to catch them doing right, in order to celebrate them when they are, when they are doing well, in order to rejoice and, and bless them, reward them when they are living as he has called them to live. Have you ever thought of God like that? The God who looks down from heaven in order to find reasons in which to bless you. What, what a God we have in the gospel. Well, how does he reward us? How does he reward secret prayer? Three quick things as we run out of time. Number one, three biblical ways God rewards secret prayer. Number one, God rewards secret prayer by changing our circumstances. God rewards secret prayer by changing our circumstances. God rewards secret prayer very often by answering your prayer exactly as you prayed it. He rewards secret prayer by answering prayer. When you pray, things happen that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't prayed. Oh, do we believe this? Lord, we have faith, but we believe, but help our unbelief. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to be cynical? And we think, eh, it's probably just a coincidence, you know? And again, we say, you know, it is amazing how many coincidences start to happen when you start to pray. For those who are more theologically inclined, especially if you've grown up in, in the tradition of the, P, the, the PCA and the kind of reformed Presbyterianism, it's not so much a cynicism that people will fall into, but it's kind of a fatalism. A fatalism, a misunderstanding, a, a, a wrong, incorrect understanding of God's sovereignty that says God's in charge of everything and he's already preordained whatsoever comes to pass. So my prayers don't really make any difference. Like nothing's going to happen if I pray because God's already decided what's going to happen. That's, that's a misunderstanding of the doctrine of sovereignty. God is so sovereign that he uses our prayers to change things in time and bring about his perfect will here on earth. So whether you're cynical or overly reformed, by which I mean wrongly reformed. It's easy for us not to believe that God answers our prayers, but the truth is God answers our prayers. James 5, 17. Elijah was a human just like us. You know Elijah? He was just a dude, right? He wasn't Jesus. He, he, was, he was a human being just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. Then Elijah, who was just a person like you and I, prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth produced its crops. When you pray, things happen. Friends, every week in the worship guide, we see that when you pray, cancer shrinks, and that when you pray, finances come together, and that when you pray, peace comes to your soul, and marriages are saved, and jobs are found, and worries are healed, and loved ones come to faith, and strength is provided, and sins are forgiven, and temptations are resisted, because God answers prayers. And if you and I believe this, we would pray all the time. We would pray all the time. And the more we pray, the more examples we'll have in our own lives how God rewards your secret prayers by changing your circumstances. Second way, God rewards secret prayer. He first, he rewards it by changing our circumstances, and secondly, God rewards secret prayer by changing us. Now, this is the answer to prayer that none of us want. We all want God to change the circumstances, or we want God to change the thing over there. So, there's problems in my marriage. Lord, you really need to change my spouse. 
okay? Um, I have problems at my, in my office. God, you, <laughs> you really need to change my... Have you seen that guy? Have you seen that? Have you seen the way my boss interacts with me? Have you seen how she goes about business here? Like, clearly, Lord, you need to change the other person. You need to change the circumstances that I'm in. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he rewards secret prayer by changing us. We don't believe in a health and wealth gospel genie of a God who you rub the lamp and poof, out he comes to do your will, whatever it may be. Sometimes God does say no to our prayer requests. Why? Um, because he knows what's best for us. Do you remember uh, James and John, the disciples? I love them. They ask for all sorts of inappropriate things. They say, hey, Jesus, see when we're, when we're in heaven, right? I should like sit in your left hand and this guy should sit in your right hand. How does Jesus answer that prayer? He says, no. <laughs> right? Or remember that time when they leave a village and James or John are like, Jesus, call down fire upon this village and destroy it. And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> okay? um, sometimes Jesus says no. Why? Because he knows, he knows better than we do. And he knows what's best for us. If the disciples are capable of making stupid, inappropriate requests, I am confident that I am too. And the good news is that God loves us too much to grant requests that wouldn't be good for us. God loves us too much to grant requests that wouldn't be good for us. So sometimes, you know in life, sometimes you do get the joy of seeing why God said no. You know, sometimes you pray for something, it doesn't come about, and then later you're like, man, I'm glad that didn't work out. You prayed to get into a certain school, much better school worked out. You prayed that you would marry this person, you ended up getting married to someone and are happily married. You prayed for all sorts of things, they didn't work out, and God shows you why he said no. Let's be honest, sometimes God doesn't show us, okay? Sometimes in life, we don't know why God has said no, and, and some, some of these things are some of our hardest pastoral moments. When we've prayed for things, we've not been praying selfish, stupid James and John prayers. We've been praying good prayers for things that it would seem like the Lord would, would have for us. And, and he said, no, and we kind of don't know what he's up to. And I just want you to know there's space here to talk about that. There's freedom here to say, I have no idea what God's doing with my life. Okay. Um, but even then, even in those circumstances, we recognize and we trust. This is faith. Faith you know, and trust is resting in something, sometimes even when it's hard for us to get our minds around. That even in these circumstances, God is good and God is still at work in us. He might not be changing the circumstance, but he is still changing us. He is a loving father who wants the best for us. Friends, if you are in Christ, if you have received the gospel, understand God loves you more than you love yourself. God cares about you more than you care about yourself. And God longs that you would have a fulfilling life in joyful obedience to him more than you care about the fact that you would have a fulfilling life in joyful obedience to him. We trust him with our lives and know that he is at work. And God uses prayer as one of the ways in which to change us. Prayer does have a way of, of changing our perspective, of changing us. It does have a way of forming character and integrity in us. Prayer has a way of, of forming trust and, and, and rest. It produces qualities in us that we want in the long run. Isn't, isn't that interesting? You know, that God, uh, instant gratification breeds shallow character. And God doesn't want us to be shallow, and we don't want to be shallow. 
God uses prayer to form qualities in us that we both long for ourselves and will need in the long run if we are to be equipped to navigate life. So God changes our circumstances, he changes us. Thirdly, quickly, God rewards secret prayer, not just by circumstances, not just by changing us, but God rewards secret prayer by changing our relationship with him. God rewards secret prayer by changing our relationship with him. Friends, the best thing about prayer is not what it gives you, it's who it gives you. And I have come to believe, friends, I have come to believe that if prayer changed nothing, it would be absolutely worth it because it is the gateway to firsthand knowledge of God. If nothing in my life changed because of prayer, and things in my life do change because of prayer, but even if they didn't, if, if nothing in my life changed because of prayer, it would still be eternally worth it. It would be worth everything because it is the gateway to first-hand knowledge of God. And friends, this, you know what my desire for my own soul, right? And my desire as your pastor for your souls is that you wouldn't just know about God, but that you would know God. I don't even get, I just didn't know some stuff. Hey, come to church. We'll fill our heads with some information, some details, right? That, that, that is not a compelling vision of life. We don't just want to know about God. We want to know God. And friends, I have, I have a concern for American evangelicalism. And that is the concern of the vicarious Christian life. So you can tell me <laughs> what Tim Keller says about God. And you can tell me what John Piper says about suffering. And you can tell me what your latest, greatest preacher, writer, blogger, tweeter has to say about God. But you can't tell me what you know about God. <laughs> you can't tell me how you've experienced God. You can't tell me how he's met you in your suffering or in your sorrow or in your joy or in your, your celebration. And friends, what we want is to get to know God ourselves. That's where eternal joy, eternal rest is found. And that makes prayer crucial, critical, absolutely indispensable because it is the place where you get to know God yourself. Where you get to know God yourself. Friends, I promise you there is no greater reward. There is no greater reward. I'm out of time. Pull back the curtain of your life. Who are you when no one else is looking? Who are you when God alone sees? The Bible says, let's do that because God is on the look to catch us doing right. And when we pull back the curtain on our lives, people are going to find, people are going to find that we're generous. <laughs> they were generous. And because of that, God has rewarded us with freedom on earth and treasure in heaven. And when we pull back the curtain on our lives, we're also going to find that we're, we're prayerful. And that God is, is rewarding those secret prayers by changing our circumstances, by changing us, and by giving us more of himself. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, what freedom, what joy, what life, <laughs> what audacity there is in the gospel. 
that you would come and, and take a people who were far from you and bring them near. People who were not just far, but were, were enemies and make them your children. And not only would you do that, Lord, but then you would say, okay, I am God. I am the Lord of the universe of all creation. The earth is mine and the fullness thereof. Everyone and everything belongs to me. And you can come to me and talk to me and let me know what's on your heart, what's on your soul. And when you do that, when you, when you come, I'll reward you. I'll change your circumstances, those hard things in your life. I'll change you. I'll, I'll make you more of who you long to be and who you're going to be for eternity. And, and through it all, I'll give you more of myself. Lord, all of that, by taking a few minutes each day to close the door of our rooms, we'll take it. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.